Lord, I thank you for the hunger that's in the room tonight. Lord, I thank you for the things you've already done this weekend. Father, I thank you for the encouragement. Lord, we thank you for healings that happened last night. Lord, I thank you that you, um, I thank you that you're stirring things up. I thank you that you're on the move. I thank you, uh, Lord, for those, God, the people, Lord, that have ears to hear right now. And I I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray you'd open our ears to hear what it is the Spirit is saying tonight and tomorrow morning. God, I pray that you would help us to catch what you're saying to the church right now and how we ought to be responding. Lord, we want to hear from heaven tonight. We don't just want a sermon. Lord, we want to hear directly from you. So Lord, I just ask and pray that you'd help me tonight, Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd make me attentive to your presence. I pray that we'd all be attentive tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd be the guest of honor tonight. That you would feel loved in this place. That you would feel like this is a room, this is a place, this is a people that you can come upon and visit. Lord, I ask and pray that your presence would ride on what it is that comes out of my mouth. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing unto you, O Lord. And I pray that you would lead and guide this time. Because Holy Spirit, unless it's you, unless it is the presence of the Lord, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I ask and pray, Holy Spirit, you would take center stage in your church again. I pray that you would become our desire. I pray that you would become our need. I pray that you would cause us to see that you are our need. If there is anything this last year revealed, it's our need for God. Guys, we didn't need a year to come to an end. We needed the Lord. It does, going from one year to the next isn't the guarantee of the end of things. It just means what you don't resolve in your own life is coming with you even into the next year. Our problem was not 2020. Our problem was our response to it and our interpretation of it. Because I believe this, 2020 was one of the most pivotal, crucial, yes, challenging, because I'm not making light of it, But my goodness, it was a really important year. And and I believe that there was something that the Lord began doing. He's still doing it. That he began doing this past year that he's calling us into even more. So Lord, we just ask and pray. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us understanding tonight, right now, in the name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. All right, so I'm going to start out with some confession. Is that cool? <laughs> it's not sin, so just don't worry about that. Some of you are like, what's he going to say? I, uh, I want to say to you guys, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a long time, and, uh, and I was sitting over there, and I was praying, and I was thinking to myself, you know, there are times, and I'm thankful for this, there are times where I literally have no idea what I'm doing. I may not build your confidence level in me, but there are times where I just, I really don't. And what I mean by that, guys, is like, there are a lot of things I feel like I've heard over the years. There's been prophetic words I've given personally to people. There's been prophetic words I've given corporate settings. There's been prophetic words that I feel like the Lord has shared with me regarding the future of things, guys. And I am telling you, 
We are getting ready to step into something bright shining. I feel the Lord right now because I'll tell you what, as tired as I am, I shouldn't be as alert and as awake as I am right now. But when the presence of, oh, thanks, Tim, I appreciate it. Come on, look at these little waters. These baby waters. I know, it's like. Amen. All right. It's for a baby baptism. Oh, I like it. All right. But I am telling you guys, there, are, there is something. I don't know if you can feel it in the air. I was talking to Stanley about it. There's something. Now I am Stan. I'm getting up. There's something, guys, in the air that's really important right now. And can I tell you something? Not everybody's going to come with you on the journey. The longer you walk with the Lord, the narrower this road is getting. And I made this comment last night at Rusty and Linda's house. Guys, I am telling you, this next season is requiring all of you. God is making, he's inviting us to get ready. That song Tim sang earlier couldn't have been a more perfect song. What a joy it is for a bride to make herself ready on her wedding day. Guys, it's not a rescue mission. Jesus is coming back for a wedding. He is coming back for a wedding. You and I right now stand betrothed to our Lord. There is a day coming where he will wed us unto himself. And some of the men may be like, that's weird. It's not weird. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. And it is my delight to, I'm happy to be part of the bride of Christ. Guys, my delight is when I wake up in the morning. Guys, can I, te- can I tell you what I pray? I, like, this last year ruined me. I am grateful for 2020. This last year made me more aware of my need for the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm telling you, if th- there was something that God was inviting us into this year, and it's still, it's still here, the invitation's still here. But I wake up, guys, you know the only thing I care, you know what my number one prayer is, God, I wanna love you more. That is my greatest privilege and delight. My greatest privilege is to host the presence of God. To be aware, to like, I've, 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 I feel like I've gotten closer to the Holy Spirit this year than I have in my entire, however long it is that I've been saved. I'm 42, I got saved at 19, so do the math. And you know what I found? The longer I walk with him, the more aware I become of my weaknesses. And I'm very keen on the people who are more aware of their weaknesses than they are of their strengths because the more aware of their weakness, the more God gets to be strong in their life. And the older we get in the Lord, the more beset we should be with realizing what we can and can't do and and realizing that we are nothing apart from his grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Guys, I am telling you, the church, the church needs the Holy Spirit. Do you know it says in Acts chapter 2, do you know it says that after the Holy Spirit was poured out on that day we call Pentecost, I want to talk more about it tomorrow. Do you know it says that they devoted themselves? Now, this is because God's there. Because God's there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, not their news feed. Guys, do you, do you know? Can I tell you a story real quick, Pete? Is that cool? I love your hair, Pete. I loved hanging out with you today. I love what, I love what they're doing with the youth, guys. And I love that the youth are in here today. There's a story. You guys know who Smith Wigglesworth is? Evangelist from England. Do you know that that man saw the dead raised? Do you know what I'm done with saying? I'm done with saying I built, I'm done. I'm done declaring things with my mouth that I'm not seeing yet in my life. Does that make sense? Like, like when, when people like, um, hopefully this will make sense. Smith Wigglesworth, 
Here's a cool story about Smith Wigglesworth. He stayed at somebody's house, husband and wife. The husband wasn't saved. Smith told the wife as he was sleeping, he was going, they wanted him to sleep in their bed. They, they, they gave him their room, gave him their bed. He slept in the bed that night, woke up in the morning, told the wife, don't wash the sheets. When your husband sleeps here tonight, he'll have an encounter with God. So she didn't wash the sheets. The husband slept in that bed that night, was troubled all night long. Woke up the next day and gave himself to the Lord. You might say that's weird. Well, handkerchiefs left Paul's body and were healing people. When it touched people, demons were shrieking and coming out. You know, the Bible says greater things you will do. Do you know there's no record of, of, we talked about it last night, that there was a woman who came up in the crowd and touched Jesus' cloak and she got healed. But now you have handkerchiefs leaving Paul. There's record of Peter's shadow healing people. I find myself hungering for that again like never before. I want to walk in those realities. But do you know it'll cost you something? Do you know it's available and it's free, but it'll cost you everything? And I'm done declaring with my mouth I'm walking in it when I'm not. Like, I, I want to get to the place, guys, where I am so radically filled with the person of the Spirit that those things are normal. Do you know what I'm saying, Carl? Like, I'm, I'm telling you guys, and, I, and what I want to get to tonight is I want to talk about desperation is the womb of revival. The more desperate you become for God. Guys, if 2020 showed us anything, it showed us where we're at, what we don't have, what we're not walking in yet. And we either responded to that with humility and said, God, like I'm so aware of my need for you and what I don't have and what I say with my mouth, I understand and I'm not manifesting yet. And it should humble us to say, I need more of that. So Smith Wigglesworth, there's a guy by the name of Lester Sumrall. Lester Sumrall was also another man that was a giant in the faith, had a deliverance anointing. Do you know Lester? Lester Sumrall showed up at Smith's house. This is a true story. Smith opened the door. He didn't say, hey, Cody, how's your day? He didn't say top of the morning to you, Rusty. He said, what's under your arm, Lester? And Lester said, it's the daily newspaper. He said, lies and it won't come in my house. You can leave that in the bush outside. Why? Because now, is this a rebuke for people that are reading and watching the news? No. What I'm telling you guys is there is, there is something in this season. The way is getting a whole lot more narrow. And Smith was known as a person that all he ever read was the Bible. And no other book was allowed in his house. He might say, that's legalism, brother. False. That's love. That's sold out. That's rolling with Jesus. Well, you need to be relevant. I'm not doing relevant. I'm doing Holy Ghost, fire, miracle, signs, wonders, Jesus, blood of Christ. Guys, the divorce between the world and the church is getting larger. And we're seeing a greater divide in the church among those that truly belong to him and those that really don't. And those that belong to him, the Bible says, abstain from every form of wickedness. I am telling you, there is something in this hour where the Lord is asking the church to cleanse their, her hands and to purify her heart. I've never been more concerned in my life with what God is doing in me more so than what he's doing through me. 
The longer I walk with Jesus, the more I'm concerned about my attitude, the more I'm concerned about my motivation, the more I'm concerned about what has my yes. And because the presence of God was present in Acts chapter 2, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. It says many signs and wonders were happening at the hands of the apostles. It says they were going from house to house daily, breaking bread, sharing meals together. And you know what it says? The Lord added to their number daily. You know what that means? The presence of God is the greatest evangelist, not us. When God is in our midst, that's when people come. And we got to get back to hungering for God again. Man, I feel this all over me. I wasn't even going to preach this tonight. We got to get back to worrying about majoring in what matters most and not these things that are minors that we find ourselves getting caught up in. We got to get ourselves back to preaching the whole counsel of God, not just the grace of God, not just the fear of the Lord, but marrying those two things together. You can major so much in grace that you miss your responsibility. You can preach so much your responsibility that you miss the grace of God. But God is wanting these two realities to come close. And over the years, when I consider the different things that God has had me say, I look, the longer I get away from some of the prophetic words I've given, I look back and I say, that makes sense to me now. Now I understand. When I look back at all that God has spoken through me since 2011 up to this 10-year mark, 2021, I see one thing in common. It is us getting ready for this next great move of the Holy Spirit. And it will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. We are going to see the, the spirit of Elijah poured out like never before. We are going to see family restorations like never before. Why is it that the sons, the hearts of sons and daughters need to be turned to fathers and vice versa? Because broken families produce broken nations. And it always starts at the family level first. And God is wanting to unite them. And that, that move, that next wave, that next outpouring of God is going to contain that. And I believe, guys, I believe we are going to see it in our day and time. Guys, the Bible says the bride makes herself ready. Guys, the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for a pure and spotless bride, one without wrinkle or blemish. And I don't know of a single woman in this room on her wedding day that didn't make herself ready. And the same is true about those who genuinely love Jesus. Why? Because every bride couldn't wait to get down to the end of that aisle because who was at the end of it? Rusty? When I saw my, gosh, man, I weep every time I do a wedding because weddings are the most precious thing on the planet to me. My wife, when my wife came down that aisle, I had a bagpiper there. Okay, I'm Irish, man. Brian Patrick Conley, you can't get more Irish than that. When my wife came, when I saw her, oh my gosh, like I look tough, I'm not, man. I cry all the time. I'm with you, Russ. When my wife came down that aisle, jeez, did I cry. And you know what I can say? We'll be married 17 years in May. I'm more in love with her now than I was then. It should be true as we journey with God. The more we walk with him, the more in love we fall. And you know what? The more of ourselves we give. And I'm telling you guys, there are things we may have gotten away with this last season that we can't get away with in this next one. God is calling us into something deeper. It requires all of you. Guys, can I tell you something? If God doesn't have your money, he doesn't have all of you. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart is. This is going to sound harsh. If you're not tithing, God doesn't have all of you. That sounds like legalism. No, it's not, man. Like, it's principle. It's just truth. It's reality. Are you saying because you want my money, Brian? I could care less. I'll do this for free all day long because the gospel's free. I'd rather see you blessed than me blessed. My wife and I were getting ready to buy a bigger home. We've got four kids. We're at max capacity. The Lord channeled my heart and said, no, it's time to start investing in your ministry. And what that looks like is you need to start investing in the dreams of other people and bring them on board and give them a platform in place. So I hired Michaela as my first employee. Why? So I can have a bigger ministry? No, so I can see her bless and watch her dreams come true. Now the fruit of her labor might grow my ministry. That's so that she can get more money. I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it to see you guys encouraged. I'm in it to see you blessed. And we need to preach this stuff. If it's perverted, it's because there's a holy root to it. Well, don't talk about money. Well, why can't we? Does God have your finances? Does God have your decisions? Does God have your motives? Does God have you? Where your treasure is, there's your heart. That means if when I start throwing my money towards, my heart will catch up to it eventually. If I start investing in the kingdom, my heart's in the kingdom. But yes, there's been great abuses in that area. There's been great abuses because there's great truth in that area. Last night I told you at Rusty and Linda's house, the word on the street, Sesame Street. What's the word on the street? The word on the street is consecrate. Set yourself. Do you know it means more than just set yourself apart? Do you know what the essence of sin is? It's my right to rule my life. I, it's all about me. I want the attention. I want the recognition. I want to be seen. I want to be honored. There was another one who sounded just like that. I will ascend. I will make myself like. So consecrate is you giving up the right to your life and handing it over to the one that you were created for to begin with. See, I'm telling you, there was no one more filled with the Holy Spirit than Jesus, and there was none more empty than Jesus. Because the Bible says that Jesus emptied himself. Do you know he said, I didn't come to do my own will? Did you know he had one? Do you know he had the ability to make his own choices? But he said, my father's will is greater than my own. Mine is inferior to the father. It's like Paul, when Paul would say, I'm free, but I'm kind of not. Because I'm bound to Jesus. That's what happens when you're in love. I could, you, I could leave here. I could, grow, I could go do some heinous stuff and you guys would never know about it, but I can't because my love for Jesus won't let me. Holiness is not just you better do that and you better not do that. Holiness is the fire of your love is so great that nothing comes between you and God. Holiness is a love affair, not a law. 
because I love my wife so much, I, that relationship's guarded. There are things she and I enjoy that I don't get, to, I, you won't enjoy with me because there's a purity in that relationship. And that's the other thing, guys. I want to touch on this tomorrow. We think purity of heart has to do with physical things, relations and stuff like that. The Bible says, purify your heart, you double-minded. An impure heart is one that's divided in its affection and attention. That's why you have, that's why you have Jesus saying to the rich young ruler, what, the rich young ruler comes and says what? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Right, Tina? What's he telling? Do these things, do these commandments. Hey, there's a ball here. There you go, buddy. Have at it, Matthew. Do these things. He says, I've done it since my youth. And Jesus doesn't tell him, no, you didn't. But do you know what it says? Jesus looked at him with a love in his heart for him. And he said, you're right, you have, but this one thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And we know what it says. The man walked away sad. Now, did Jesus say that to everybody? No, because it's different for every one of us. He knows exactly what to say to reveal what needs to be revealed because his life was a living, walking confrontation of what was in your heart and what motivated you because he was the word and the word is alive and active and it judges and reveals the thoughts and the intentions of men's hearts. Everywhere Jesus went was an encounter with the Father and it revealed what was ultimately in people's hearts. He was the light, this is the judgment. The light came into the world and those whose deeds were done in truth ran to him. Those whose weren't walked away. So those that belonged to him ran. Those who did the things done in truth ran to him. But what does that tell me? It tells me this, you can do Christian things and have a divided heart. You can do Christian things and we can be singing the right songs and your heart can be a million miles away from them. Tim and I were praying for some people this morning. Tim made a comment about the importance of how easy it is for us to read books by their cover, flash judgments of one another. It's like teenagers today, they have a level of curation, like in terms of like it's their ability to process as they're like, you know, things are hitting them a million miles, you know, a minute, all the stuff on their feeds and everything else. There's only so much the brain can process in a minute. It's called curation, a curated stream. We do it all the time. We look at one another and based on what we see and observe, we make a judgment call. But it's God who looks upon the heart, right? So God's not a lip reader, he's a heart reader. And God is looking right now for those whose hearts belong solely to him. Those who are willing to be all in in this hour. Those who are willing to surrender everything. I say it all the time. The Christian life is not lived out of your strength. It's lived out of your surrender. The lower you go, the more you see you can't, the better off you'll be. When God becomes your everything, consider that a gift. That's the greatest place to be. So the Lord, I think I can go here now. The Lord over this last year has had me revisit some, some prophetic words that I've given in the past. And, and some of you guys will remember this. There was, because I think I even taught on this back in, I've been coming here since 2012. That's a long time. But I do enjoy seeing everybody. Can I tell you, Mike Biggs built this incredible shed that I'm living into this weekend. This, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this thing's amazing. And I enjoy coming down and seeing everybody. 
But I believe I even told you guys this back in 2013. I think you guys will remember this. My wife, my wife was told at 17, you'll never have children. You'll never have kids because, well, we're not gonna have health class, but her anatomy was pretty messed up. And only by the grace of God, and I know this is sensitive, I hate, I hate going down this road, Kate and Pete, because I know what you guys have contended for, and I love you both. And I'm sensitive to that. So we had our first daughter after being infertile and getting on fertility medication. We had our firstborn, Emma. She's 13 now. It's hard to believe. I have a teenager. She acts like one. She's moody already. Cody, can you relate? <laughs> it's like, not me, man. She knows how to try to get dad against mom and vice versa. It's funny, man. My daughter, Lily, just turned nine. But then in 2012, Nicole and I looked at each other and said, are we going to do this thing again or what? Should we try for another one? Because I was, I was thinking one was it, two is great. Because we're thinking, you know, we're getting older and I just really didn't want to be 60 years old teaching somebody how to drive. You know what I'm saying? Russ is like, wait a minute, wait a minute here. <laughs> you would never know with you two. You guys are awesome, man. So, Nicole and I, the end of 2012, going into 2013, we found out we were pregnant. You guys know this story. But this is about, see, I, I used to preach, oh man, gosh, I feel the Lord. I, whew, I used to preach this thinking I understand it. I understand it more now why God does these things. And it's amazing sometimes what he will allow to be a sign in your life. And because it happened in my lifetime, I believe I'm gonna see this in my lifetime. I believe the call, the, one of the greatest calls of the Lord on my life is not just for this generation, but it's to make the church ready. The Lord told me back in 2011, we're going to see the church go through five stages. The first one is this. God's going to raise up John the Baptist types to go into the church, wake the church up, evangelize the church. Crazy ones that are so consecrated to the Lord, you're going to be like, where'd these guys come from? And when they come and preach their message, it's going to lead to a second thing. It's going to bring an awareness to the church of how far away we've gotten from God. It's like when Josiah found the book of the law in the temple and he's like, what have we done? You know, the book of the law used to be, used to had to be read in the presence of the king. And Josiah was eight years old when he was anointed king. And by the time he was 16, he brought reform to a nation. 16. After that awareness, there's going to be a repentance. When that repentance hits, there's going to be a visitation. When that visitation comes, there's going to be an understanding. It's my fourth book. I started it like two Mays ago and still haven't been able to finish it, but I think the Lord's going to bring me back to it. I say that because right when 2013 hit, my wife and I found out we were pregnant for the third time. I'm thinking three, that's great. So my wife goes and has the ultrasound appointment because, you know, we did the whole stick thing and I ran up to the bathroom and there's balls coming out from all over the place. And I wanted her to be pregnant. I'm like, yeah. And I saw this. I'm like, yeah, like I'm freaking out. So then, she, you know, the next step you go, you get the ultrasound, verify the pregnancy. And it's taken a long time, Mike. 
She finally calls, I'm cleaning up dinner. I'll never forget it because it's one of those life-changing moments. And I remember sitting there doing the dishes and she calls and I have my phone pinched like this and I'm scrubbing away and hey, the baby's gonna be due in September. That's wonderful, honey, just cleaning up dinner. What else, everything good? Yep, everything's good, awesome. And there's two. <laughs> Scrubbing stopped. I said, what? I'm sure I said something else, but it was something like that. And she said, yeah, there's this. She starts crying on the phone. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, did I freak her out? And I'm sorry, because she's like, it was so overwhelming. It's not what you're expecting. The, the nurse in there is quiet and you're thinking something's wrong. Not my wife. She goes, there's just one, right? The nurse goes, no, there's two. And then the nurse is like, are you okay? Because she's seen people freak because they weren't expecting that. And there's no history of this on either side of the family. So this is miraculous. So long story short, I know some of you guys remember this story. It's naming time. You don't tell what you're gonna name your children to your parents. You just keep that a secret. Because everybody's got an opinion. They like it, they don't like it. That's too old fashioned, that's too modern. So we've always believed in the Lord naming our kids. Always. So we knew, after prayer, we knew, I'm gonna fast forward this really quick because we're gonna get into the story. Long story short, we knew the one, the one was gonna be named Hannah. My wife says this, what do you think of the name Shiloh? Some of you remember this from years past. I preached on it here, but now it has a totally different meaning because the longer you get away from some of the things, guys, it is true, we know in part. You, if you have any prophet tell you they know everything, they don't. And if they do say that, they're full of it and they're in pride. And there's some pride this last season that still needs repented of with some people. So I knew in part and I prophesy in part, but now the further away I am for that word, because my twins are seven, they're turning eight this year. Now I look back on them like, I think I understand it a little bit more clearly. I think the mirror got a little bit more clear. Thanks, Tim. Was that going off? Was that beeping at me? Oh, okay. So my wife, after we're like, Hannah, yeah, absolutely. Which was supernatural because we were gonna name Lily Madeline. I love that name. The Lord changed it. I can't get into that. That's another story in and for itself. But because Madeline didn't even come up as an option, because I love that name. I knew, I knew that this was the Lord. Hannah was gonna be one. Then my wife says, what do you think of the name Shiloh? Love it, love it. Let's use it. Mm, I don't know. Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie have a kid named Shiloh. People call their dog Shiloh. There's boys named Shiloh. And just as soon as it came out of her mouth, man, she was taking it back. I'm like, well, who cares? We like it. Nah, I'm just not really sure. I am so grateful that my wife is a woman who loves confirmation. So we didn't say anything to her mom. Her mom comes with her to one of the ultrasound appointments. Now, the babies don't have names. To the doctors, they're A and B. That's as personal as it gets. So baby A doesn't always cooperate. Baby B is all over the place. So my wife prepared my mom and said, get ready, you may not see baby A a whole lot. Baby B likes to take center stage. They go to the ultrasound appointment. Sure enough, baby A is not cooperating. My wife's mother says, huh, baby A is really shy. You ought to name her something with the word shy in it. 
My wife comes back, tells me the story, done deal. I'm not really convinced. I'm like, really? Your mother didn't know that we were even thinking that name. So now it's July 2013. The twins are due September 2013. No second name. Shiloh's still hanging in the air and in the balance somewhere. So I'm going to land this real quick. So I'm in the church and I'm praying. And I'm not thinking second name. I'm not thinking the twins. I'm just being with Jesus. The next thing I know, I hear this voice inside me say, read about Hannah in the Bible. I said, okay. So I knew where her story was and I opened up to 1 Samuel 1. And I got about three verses in and it talks about this idea that now this man, this man is Elkanah. We're gonna read the story here in a minute. Would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And this man had two wives. One was Penina, the other one was Hannah. And he would go up with his wives to Shiloh. Hannah, Shiloh. My girls are identical because you can't separate the two. You need both. So I texted my wife the entire chapter and she said, that was the confirmation I was waiting for. Now, why is this story so significant? It's significant for a couple reasons. Number one, Hannah was barren. And barrenness is only even in the church. Guys, you have to understand every barren woman in the Bible is symbolic of the church. Because we are to be fruitful and multiply with our husband. There is no one you ask, any woman that has been told she can't have kids, there is rarely anyone more desperate than a woman who can't have children. We lived it. The same ought to be said for the church if she cannot adequately demonstrate the kingdom of God. When is the church going to get to the place to say we are more barren than we realize and we're not giving birth to everything that's possible through relationship with God? When are we going to get tired of our condition and head to Shiloh? Guys, do you know the number one thing we could be doing right now in the church is pray. It's the most important ministry. But you know what I've learned? Everybody loves to be ministered to, but not everybody loves to minister to the Lord. I can say that because you advertise a prophetic service, everybody's coming. You advertise prayer? Nope. You know what that tells me? We love seeing God's hand move, but we don't like touching his heart. That's gotta change. It's gotta change, guys. Leonard Ravenhill, one of my favorite people, some be like, oh man, he's harsh. He wasn't, man, he knew Jesus. You know what he used to say? He said, Sunday morning revealed how popular the church was. Wednesday night revealed how popular the pastor was. The prayer night revealed how popular God was. 
Do you know what's the number one most acceptable thing to the Lord? It's when we get on that altar and don't get up. It's when we not only come to the cross, but we actually get on it. That's what God's looking for in this hour. God is looking for absolute self-denial. Do you know there was a group of Greeks that came and said, we wanna see Jesus? You know what Jesus' answer was? You wanna see me? Die. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But do you know when that seed goes in the ground, any farmer in here will tell you that shell needs to crack. We need to be so broken over our need for the Lord that we actually die, that he might get the greatest fruit out of us, Carl. I am so ruined, I don't even know what to pray for anymore. I just go down to my basement, I say, here I am. I yield myself to you again and again and again. I just want you to take all of me because I'm tired of living the way that I'm living. If there's that much available, what are we doing? I don't want to be entertained by ministry. I, I, and I find myself, guys, I feel like in years past, I probably asked for this thing for my sake. And I want to tie this into Hannah here for a moment. I feel like there's been this shift and this is what 2020 showed me. I'm not asking for me, I'm asking for them. Because they need it. The world needs an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Not an encounter with our doctrine, not an encounter with our worship service, not an encounter with our preaching. The actual presence of God that added to their number daily, the Bible said as the church went on in the fear of the Lord, and then the sick are being carried out into the streets, the streets of Jerusalem, man, not one. And the sick are being healed, hoping that Peter's shadow might fall on any one of them. Well, that sounds like revival. Do you know what revival is? See, we gotta qualify revival. There's all kinds of definitions for revival. The revival to me is when the awareness of God grips an entire community because God stepped down. Not just tongues flowing, gifts moving, no. The absolute, raw, holy, reverential fear of presence of God steps down into a community and all of a sudden the streets and the alleyways are an altar as people are getting right with God. Not people just running to a building where God is at, no. The literal, tangible presence of God grips an entire community and things get shut down because people become aware. Do you know that there are people, it's recorded. My favorite thing to do, aside from read the, I am, I. The revival that happened in the Hebrides, there were people on streets screaming, hell's too good for me. That's how much conviction was on the people. I want to see that. I'm, I, if God's not in it, I just don't care anymore. If there's anything, you know what everybody said, 2020 was a year of exposure. Yeah, that's true, it was in a lot of ways. But it also exposed where the church was. Exposed what was in our hearts big time, what we valued most. So you have this woman, she can't have children. So she keeps going up 
And year after year, as she goes up, there's this other woman in her life constantly antagonizing her about what it is that she doesn't have. And if we're not careful, we can hear that voice of the enemy. And I'm not, trust me, I'm not condemned. But if we're not careful, you can hear what I'm saying right now and feel condemned. I'm not, I don't feel condemned. I feel charged. I feel lit. I feel Jesus. I feel Holy Spirit. And no one's talking me out of it. But this woman would go up yearly and pray and ask God to open her womb. And there are times where it says she wouldn't eat and she's crying and she's praying and nothing, nothing's changing. But the womb is only open through prayer. See, people say God hears prayer. That's true, but he definitely hears desperate prayer. Desperation is the womb for revival, the womb. A hungry church, a hungry people that won't take no for an answer that ask, seek, and knock, that realize that it feels like midnight out there and there could be a stranger that shows up at their house and they reveal and it's made known that through the stranger showing up, they don't have the bread that's necessary to give the stranger. That's what 2020 was. 2020 came to our door and we found out what we had. So you go to your friend's house that has it. This is a type of Jesus. You knock on his door. Go away, my family and I are asleep. No, I need that bread. I need that bread. I need bread. He said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does God wanna give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? That's the whole point of that parable. We either have him and can give him away or we don't. And we're not asking for our sake to build something. We're asking on behalf of the people that are out there that are in desperate need of an encounter with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus said, it's better for you that I go, then he's the one that I need. If he said, wait in Jerusalem till you receive the promise of the Father, then he's the one that I need. Are you saying, Brian, you don't have any of the Holy Spirit? No, I'm aware that I do, and I'm thankful for the things that I have and the things that I've seen. We saw great things last night in Rusty and Linda's house, but how many of you know there's a place where everybody gets healed like that? Yeah, because it says it in the book of Acts. It wasn't just Jesus that did it. Or what if your preaching goes a little long and somebody falls asleep in your windowsill and falls out and it's a little kid and they die and Paul goes out and raises, that's in there. Or Tabitha who dies and Peter goes and raises her up. But those guys proved one thing, they were all in. And no one in this life will leave mother and father and will not be rewarded with more and be given more in this lifetime and in the next. It it's free, but it costs everything. This, I'm telling you, it, this path is getting more narrow. It is getting more narrow. And it, this, this river of the Spirit right now, man, is flowing down it. So you have Hannah crying out, nothing's happening, nothing's changing. Elkanah, her husband, comes to her. Am I not better to you than 10 sons? You need to understand, culturally, she's probably asking for a son because she feels like it's her duty to provide that for her husband. So much of the woman's identity back then was wrapped in that because you're a reproach if you can't have children. Something's wrong with you. You might be cursed in some way. But you know what it says? Elkanah loved Hannah. And you know what he said? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? In other words, your identity, Hannah, can't be in what you can give me. 
I love you regardless of what you can do for me. We need to know that first. God loves you, period. Irregardless of what, see, the reason why I want to do this is because I love him. I don't want to have on the day of judgment, which by the way, we're all going there one day. Every one of us, not just the non-believer, but for the deeds done in the body, we will be judged. Peter preached that, Paul preached that in Acts 17. And I don't want my reward to be like that. I'm sorry, I don't. If I really love him, I will bring the greatest gift possible to him. And it won't be hay, wood, or stubble that's burned up like 1 Corinthians 3 says, but it'll get greater through the fire if it's done from a pure place and motive. Because it's not about what, it's why. Gold, silver, stone get better with fire. See, there will be some that make it by the skin of their teeth. They'll be saved. It'll be as though through fire. And what they did, guys, you might find out some of the biggest named ministries will get burned up. You know what I learned this season? We listened to a lot of voices more than we did open our Bible and seek Jesus. We got caught up in what all the prophets were saying. And now we see the fallacy, like I said last night, of Christian celebrity. It's all coming down. Jeremy Riddle just wrote a book called The Reset about how worship's become an industry and it was never meant to be. And I don't think it was in the heart of these people necessarily for us to idolize them in that way. But guys, there's idols in the church. And some of you aren't gonna like this statement. And the president was one of them. He just was. And there was a lot in the church that wanted him to do what we were called to do. And I'm not saying voting wasn't important and the election wasn't important. I voted and I voted for the person I felt like best represented my morals and what I thought. But if, you, if, if, if you've got Christians right now that are falling apart, guys, come on. Heaven forbid we actually preach what Romans 9 says, that God appoints people. <laughs> like you'd get killed for that. Nobody wants to hear that. What if God gave the church exactly what she needed? Just a thought. I wouldn't say that everywhere. I feel like I can say it with you guys. I can get in trouble for that. I said it at my church. And I warned him. I said, guys, you're distracted right now. If you're not a conspiracy theorist yet, there's a lot out there for you to be. It was the greatest distraction this last year. The biggest distraction on the planet. And we fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And all the while, Jesus was wanting to unify us, and we fell for it. Can I tell you something? You can't be unified around something that's word means many. Poly means many. Unity means one. Oneness. In the upper room, it says they were one mind. They were one in mind individually, one in mind corporately. 
They were united around one thing, in one place, waiting for one promise. We need to get back to that. God wanted to unify us around that. We fell for something else. Are you all right? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? So the Bible says Hannah got up and she ate. She cleared it. She was crying. She cleared up her face. She went. Do you know what begins to happen now? She was asking for a son. Initially for her sake. Now, her prayer changes. What does she say? God, if you give him to me, I will give him to you all the days of his life. That's consecration. Do you know she kept her word? Do you know after that moment, Jesus opened her womb? She became pregnant. The Bible says she went home, had relations with Elkanah. The Lord remembered her. She became pregnant with the son. She declared this, and no razor will come upon his head. Guys, that is a sign of a Nazarite vow. I might talk more about that tomorrow. Its root word is Nazir. It just simply means those that are totally set apart. There are three of them in the Bible that are heroes. Samson, which by the way, the strength of, of his life was not in his hair, it was his consecration. It was in his obedience to God. Samuel, John the Baptist. Those three guys were rock stars for the kingdom. And they were told, I guess I will touch on this briefly, really quick. Three primary elements, keys, facets of the Nazarite vow. You will have no strong drink or eat anything from the vine. Through a New Testament lens, Christ is the vine. We're to abide in his love. God is wanting us to get rid of the lesser lovers. You will touch no dead thing. Through New Testament lens, the wages of sin is death. It's abstaining from sin. Number three, don't cut your hair. Well, in that culture and time, it wasn't overly popular for men to have a long hair. So it represents, through New Testament, it represents we need to let go of the fear of what men and women think and embrace the fear of the Lord. Now more than ever. So she says, I will give him to you all the days of his life. That's consecration. Do you know there was probably, in my opinion, the greatest prophet in all of the Old Testament was probably Samuel. I know we read about Elijah and those different things, but there was no one who grew in favor with God and man like Samuel. No one where it says his words did not fall to the ground who wept over when Saul was rejected, who wept when everybody wanted a king and not God as the king. There is something very powerful, guys, right now about what we are asking for, telling the Lord, and when it's poured out, you can have it. It's not about me. I'm not asking on my behalf. I'm asking on behalf of everyone else. God, I offer you my life. I lay it down. I lay it aside. It is all for you, for your glory. Does this make sense, guys? This is what he's calling us into.
So it says, she made a vow. How many of you have seen 11-11 lately or 1-11? Tim was asking me about, okay. First Samuel 1-11. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and not a razor will come on his head. She meant it and she did it. When Samuel was born, she brought him up to the temple. After she weaned him and there he remained and he became one of the greatest prophets because what you consecrate to the Lord is fit for use. So it says then, Verse 24, now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Shiloh, guys, again, that is where Joshua pinched, pitched the tent of meeting. That's where she would go and pray. She went where the Lord was. It's where her womb was open. with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. Although the child was young, then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I've also dedicated him to the Lord. That's what the Lord's looking for. Dedication, consecration. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. How powerful is that? And he worshiped the Lord there. I wanna talk more on this reality tomorrow. There was a, a moment a few weeks ago, I was in the basement and I was praying and the Lord led me to a particular chapter. And it's a chapter I've read before, and there's a lot of things that are just coming back to memory as the Lord is calling them to memory. This, this makes more sense to me now than ever. The Lord is looking for those of us that are willing to be fully dedicated, completely surrendered, totally all in. I was in the basement and I was praying, and the Lord led me to this one particular chapter, and there was this one particular clump of words, phrase that I read. And when I read it, I thought inside of myself, oh my gosh, this is what he's asking. It wasn't that long ago. It's probably a couple Fridays ago. I do this once a month service called the greenhouse for teenagers and young adults. And I preached on the reality of Isaiah chapter six. You know what it says in Isaiah chapter six in the year. And I said, guys, there's a lot that happened in a year, wasn't there? When King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. In the year that pride died, because that's what he was. He became strong, pride came in, did something he wasn't supposed to do, died in his pride. When we are finally able to die to self and see our need, we see the Lord. And I said, the Lord is looking for people right now 
that are willing to go, that are willing. And I preached, it was, it was, in, it was awesome, it was fun. It was such a holy moment, right, Michaela, you were there. I mean, it was one of the holiest moments we've ever had at the greenhouse. It was insane. And I remember getting off the stage. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. These kids were, were just like, their hearts were arrested by what was being said. I got off the stage. Kids were just meeting up with the Lord at the altar because I said, this is a season of fire where God is coming to us in fire. And what we put on that altar, he's coming down upon and consuming what doesn't belong so that what should belong remains. And what does remain gets better through the fire. And I remember getting off the stage and I walked down off to the side while the kids were up there having this encounter with the Lord. And it was one of those moments where I was afraid to move. Like I sat in my chair for a real long time. I was afraid to move. And I finally get down off the stage. And I pull out my phone and I type down, oh dear God, I feel the weight of what you're asking for right now in this hour. It's everything, all of us. Because when he has all, he possesses all, he fills all, he can be all in all. And he can flow from that place. I don't wanna be like the rich young ruler and say, yeah, I did that stuff. But at the same time, Lord, I also want my own way. At the same time, I don't wanna let go of this other love that I have, this other love interest in my life. Do you know if the Bible says the first and greatest commandment, do you know that means that God has priorities? And such you would love him. Because when he has that, he has all of you. The second is like the first, because when I love him most, I love you the best. But he is calling us into consecration in this hour. How, who else has felt that? Like who else has been sensing that or feeling that? Stanley, I know you have, yeah? Tina, yeah, I'm telling you. Carl, I'm telling you. It's intense, man. So this is what I wanna do. I, I, I wanna pray. I wanna pray. I wanna ask if you carry the heart cry of Hannah that says, I give him to you all the, come on, man, we, God might be asking for your ministry. God might be asking for your family. God might be asking for your finances. God might be asking for your time, your decisions, your motives. Is there anything off limits to the Lord? Is there anything you held back and said, sorry, that's still mine? Or are you willing to not just let him be savior, but also be Lord? Because there's a difference. You can know him as savior and never humble yourself and subject yourself to him as Lord. Because when you do that, what you're saying is you give him the right to your life to tell you how it is, how it's gonna be and what you need to do. You know, I bought this snowblower. This Arians 28, dude, it is a hog. And I love it. I like toys, Russ. I like that four-wheeler, let me on it, man. Do you know that that snowblower came with an owner's manual? Thank you, Tim. <laughs> Notice how I'm not making eye contact with him? Why'd they write that owner's manual? Because they know the machine better than I do. 
They know what gas should go in it. They know how it should be serviced. They know how much oil should go in, the type of oil. But the moment we say, nope, I know better, that's when we're not getting the optimal use out of the machine. What if God made you and knows more about you and how to get the best use out of you than you know about yourself? What if the reason for which you were really made was to completely surrender yourself to the Lord like Jesus did? Who says things like this? I did not come to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. My life's not my own. My teaching's not my own. Oh, there's a lot of people taking credit for their teaching. The things I do, I do because I saw my father do it. I don't speak on my own initiative. Do you know what he's saying in those words? My life doesn't belong to me, Carl. It belongs to him. Do you know what I'm becoming aware of every area in my life that hasn't come in subjection to God? He wants it all. When he has it all, we are fit. We are vessels prepared to carry this next wave of glory that's coming. And I want to be ready for it. Do you know he said, at the wedding at Cana, fill those pots to the brim. Do you know there were six in number? Do you know six represents the number of man? Do you know those pots were set apart on purpose for a purpose? Do you know you were created to be set apart on purpose for a purpose? Do you know the better wine came at the end of the wedding, Stanley, not the, not the front end of the wedding? What's that tell me? The best of the spirit has yet to come. Do you know it says on the third day, of the wedding, this happened. Do you know the number three speaks of visitation in the Bible? Tomorrow we're going to look at Exodus 19. It was on the third day God stepped down on the Sinai. It was the third day Christ was raised from the dead. You know, it was the third day Christ shows up at this wedding and turns the water into wine. Do you know a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years? Do you know that story was probably performed 2,000 years ago? What if today is the third day? What if, what if we're actually getting ready to step into the finest hour we've ever seen? What if it's gonna require all of us? What if it's gonna be more than just attending church? What if it's gonna be more than what we thought it was? What, who in the room is ready to lay it all down? That's what he's looking for. Who's gonna be like Hannah and say, whatever you give to me, God, belongs wholeheartedly to you. I lay it down, including my own life. Even my own life is not my own. My children are not my own. Everything in my life that's good has come from the Father of lights, and back to you it goes. Don't you ever forget they cast their crowns at his feet, because there's only one that's worthy. And God is bringing us into an awareness of that. The fear of the Lord is gonna characterize this next move. So I want to pray, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the message. I don't know what's going to happen tonight. I really don't. But if you are saying in your own heart tonight that I'm one of those people, then I want to pray for the fire of God. I don't need to lay any hands on you, but I want to pray for the fire. Guys, I'm telling you, the one thing that is acceptable to the Lord, it says, therefore, let us, brethren, by the mercies of God. Do you know what that means? Our motive for doing this should be mercy has kissed us. Offer yourself a living, 
Do you know why? Because there's no life outside of being laid down before him. And holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. This is what he's after. What's acceptable? A life laid on an altar. And I told those kids a couple Fridays ago, do not come up here if a week from now you're going to tell the Lord, sorry, just kidding. Count the cost. If you're going to come up and say, Jesus, you can have it all, don't a week from now say, but I'd like to have that back. No. Mm -mm. Lukewarm is unappealing to God. It's hot or cold. It's one or the other. And he's inviting us in, guys, to something so incredibly holy and deep. So I'm going to pass this basketball back off over there. You know, do you know why this is called an altar? Because it's where we're supposed to come and die so that he might actually live through us. I heard an old revivalist say, the only way God can get glory out of a human being is if that human being joins him in death. Because apart from that, as long as you're alive, God can't get the glory. But if you're willing to die and not get up off that altar, God will get glory out of you. I want to be, guys, it's time. I said it last night, get your house in order. What made Solomon's temple so glorious when they dedicated it to the Lord? What is that a picture of? You and I becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's 120 priests blowing trumpets, worshiping the Lord. Glory fills the house. There's 120 in an upper room praying. This stuff isn't by accident. But God is wanting us to consider where we are in light of where we've been. And there's a wonderful book, little tiny book in the Old Testament called Haggai. And in that book, the temple of God is in ruins. And nobody cares. You know what they're concerned with? Their own houses, their own life. So God has to raise up a prophet and go and say, how is it that you can stay in your paneled houses and the house of God is in ruins? Ezekiel had a vision while he was in exile of the glory of God leaving the temple. And you know what the conclusion was? Nobody even seemed to notice. How many people are in church today and are completely oblivious to the fact that in a lot of our services, the glory of God's not even there? Because a lot of people don't care. They're content just to go through the motions and do their Christian thing. And God is looking for people to weep over the condition of the church again to say, let glory return again. And you know what the conclusion is in the book of Haggai? The glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. And to me, that speaks of the glory that the early church walked in will be eclipsed by the glory of the latter church. I believe we are going to see more than they had seen. I believe the best wine is about to be served, Stanley. Because the wine is a picture of the Holy Spirit. They were so intoxicated with the Holy Spirit, people thought they were drunk. And it says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Guys, you know what my prayer has been to the Lord lately? I want to be possessed by you. Because I want to walk in an awareness of God that dominates my life. 
where people look in your eyes and they see him waving back, where people get around you and they say, what is it about you and why am I convicted of my sin? Where your life carries so much of the glory that people feel Jesus on you. See, I say, I, I feel that all over. I want that. I'm not, I'm, I, Michaela knows me, Rachel, that's, it's not hype. They know me, like that's, that's me, that's what I want. When I'm alone, that's what I'm crying out for. That's, I'm reading things. I'm reading the Shantung Revival, the Revival in the Hebrew. I'm reading these books. I'm like, God, would you do that again? You know what started the Hebrides Revival? I gotta stop. Two women, two elderly women that were grieved over the condition of the church that devoted themselves to prayer Tuesday and every Friday night from 10 p.m. to three or four in the morning for months. See, we know nothing of sacrifice, if we're honest. You know what happened? One of them had a vision of a strange man, probably looked like me, in the pulpit. And so she called for the pastor of the parish to come. The, one of these women was blind. The other one was bent over, 85 and 83 years old. Do you know what they had? One promise from Isaiah. You know what it was? I will pour out rain upon the thirsty, rivers on the dry ground. That was the only promise that they clung to. And they so believed that God was a covenant-keeping God that he had to keep his promise, Stanley. They clung to it and never stopped. There's something about holding on and wrestling and saying, I will not let you go till you bless me. If you need to leave me lame, so be it. If I have to walk with a limp for the rest of my life in order to have you, I don't care. So she called for the parish. They called for the parish minister. The parish minister came. These old ladies said, we had a vision. And we believe that you and the other leaders of the church need to pray. And you ought to pray at the same hours we are praying. And because the pastor believed that these were women that he heard from the Lord and that they were God-fearing women, he listened. And so while they were praying in their little college cottage every Tuesday and Friday, look it up, from 10 to 3 or 4 in the morning, they devoted themselves to doing the same thing in a barn every Tuesday and Friday for months. And as they prayed, you know what happened? A 19-year-old kid in the midst of this barn stood up and opened his Bible to Psalm 24. I'm going to talk about this tomorrow. And he said and read, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And he got no further than that. And he looked at everybody at the prayer meeting and said, it seems but humbug to me for us to be praying in the manner in which we are praying if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. And he said, oh God, he lifted 19, lifted his hands in the air and said, oh God, are my hands clean and is my heart pure and couldn't get any further and God stepped down and he hit the deck and went into a trance. God kept, came down 
to the Hebrides Isle. Because every, like Duncan Campbell says, every God-sent revival is related to holiness. When people care about the condition of their heart and life, that's who God can move on and entrust with revival. And I stood in front of my church and I said, I care more about that than who my next president is. That's what I want. I want to know if my hands please him. I want to know if my heart pleases him because I, I want to see it. I want to be trusted with revival. I want to be trusted with the generation. I want to see kids get rocked by God. I want to see an entire generation get marked and filled with the Holy Spirit and saved. Signs and wonders, guys. we got to get back to this thing. Like I said last night, it's got to be the gospel again. But I'm realizing I don't have it in myself. I'm not enough. But me and God are enough. A consecrated life is enough. What do you think they were doing in that upper room for 10 days? Do you know God told Moses to come up on a mountain? Do you know? Because he said he's going to speak to him. Do you know after one day, no voice? Two days, no voice? Three days, no voice? Guys, he didn't have Jacob playing piano in the background. It was silence. Know this. Just waiting. I don't know if we know how to do that anymore. There's so many distractions. Do you, I said this to the kids. I said, do you know the Bible says that we can know him by his invisible, we know his invisible attributes by looking at the world outside. Nobody's even taking the time to do it anymore. Kids don't even know what it's like anymore to go play in a creek like we used to play. Some of David's revelations where he looked at the night sky. It's like we're living in the matrix. And you know what's happening? I find myself less and less interested in the world now more than I've ever been in my entire life. I couldn't even tell you how the Eagles did this year. I'm serious. I just don't care anymore. I don't even want to know. I don't even want to, I don't even want to know what the news is saying. I don't care. Thanks, Carl. I don't. Not interested. It's not going to change what I'm chasing after. Are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? God stepped down. You know what the first thing was that happened? People ran to the church and they said to the minister, something wonderful has happened. Young people are filling the church. And their concern was their life being made right with Jesus. The genuine conviction of the Holy Spirit stepped down and they were made aware that they were held deserving sinners. My preaching's not that good to do it. Tim would say the same. We need Jesus. Now's the time. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. 
to be all in, not to be all out, but God gives you a choice. How do you want to spend your freedom? What do you want to do? I believe even the things that, you know, when Paul says all things are lawful, not all things are profitable, I think even the things that were lawful to us in this past season aren't going to be profitable in the next. The way is getting narrow really quick. And we are finding out who's ascending this hill and who's not. So guys, there might be people I'm supposed to, I was supposed to land this plane 20 minutes ago. Thank you, Jacob. I know you're masking a lot of you right now. Guys, don't be surprised if the people that ran with you in your last season aren't there in this next one. That's fine. Not everybody's coming. Sometimes things have to be thinned out so that holiness might prevail. Jesus isn't interested in double dating you and something else. He's not going to do it. I heard somebody say one time, it stuck with me. He said, the only love he understands is first love. He doesn't understand anything else. And he's looking for a bride, like John Bevere said, who's willing to give herself to him the same way he gave himself to her. That's what he's after. Total abandonment of self for him. So Jesus, I thank you right now. I'm just going to land it right now. Jeez, all I want to do is get out of here and just go weep somewhere. All right, if you want this thing, come up here. If you're saying, you know what, if, you want, if you're saying, I'm gonna give myself to Jesus, I wanna consecrate myself to the Lord, I invite you to come up here. If you want, you can kneel, um, whatever you want. We're just gonna pray, guys. We're just gonna pray. If, 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 you, if you are saying in your heart, you know what, I wanna be like Hannah. I, 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 I am telling the Lord as an act of faith tonight by coming forward that I'm not playing games. If you wanna kneel at the altar, if you wanna get old-fashioned, Let's do it, guys. Let's just pray. Like, I'm just gonna pray for a little bit and then I might turn it over to Tim or Stanley, whoever feels moved to pray. <sighs> I don't know what God wants to do. I don't know if repentance is gonna hit. I, I don't know. I don't know what God wants to do. I just feel like it's time to get right. I feel like it's time to tell the Lord, you can have all of me. You can have all of me. You can have this vessel. You can take possession of it. You can fill it to the brim so that what comes out of me is wine. You can fill it. You can do whatever it is that you want with it. I'm just not, I'm not interested in myself anymore. It's for you, for your image, your glory. I realize that for which I was created. So Jesus, we come before you. I don't know what you want to do tonight. I'm not even going to pretend to know. But I wanna give people an opportunity by faith to respond to what it is that they've heard because I believe it's important. I believe it's important that fire falls. I believe it's important that we'd be consumed. I believe it's important, God, that the fire of the Spirit, guys, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit in Isaiah 4:4 the spirit of burning. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would release that burning over us tonight. God, I pray for consumption. God, I pray that you'd make a people ready to store revival that we'd be a people that could be entrusted with it, not for our sake because we're wanting to impress or we're wanting to grow something or say, hey, look at us, but for their sake outside those walls. Pentecost filled a room so that it could fill a street. That's why it came. They heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind and no sooner did they hear it, it went out into the road. 
And so, Jesus, we come before you tonight, and I don't know how you do it, but I know you promised you would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. So I'm not going to pretend to know. But I know this. I know fire falls on sacrifice. So we lay before you, Holy Spirit. I pray that you look upon this act tonight. I pray you look upon this church and that you would burn everything that's displeasing and that you would leave everything that is, that you would consume us, God, that you would ruin us for nothing else but your face, for your glory, and for your name. God, I pray that every lesser lover would lose its grip. I pray that whatever you want to show us that we need to change our mind about, God, that conviction would hit us in that area that we might change and hand it over to you. And I pray that your fire would come right now, Holy Spirit, that your burning would come, that your burning would come, that you'd mark us, that you'd ruin us, that you'd make us fit for glory, that you'd make us carriers of your presence, that when this next outpouring comes or when this wave of revival comes, God, I don't even know what to call it. I just know you're saying, get ready. I just know you're saying, get your house in order. I know that you're saying, now's the time. No more games, now's the time. Now's the time to get ready. Now's the time to give it all. Now's the time to spend it on him. So God, we repent for allowing peripheral things to become the point. And we ask that you take center stage again, that you'd become the point, that you'd become the goal, that our hearts would be fit for you and for you alone. We bless you, Holy Spirit. We want you, no one else but you. Yeah, cry out to him. Cry out to him, guys. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Tell him in your own way. Tell him, hey, here I am. 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 I yield. I yield. I yield. I yield. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I give. I give. I give. I give it all to you. I lay it down, God. For your sake. For your sake. For your sake. Look upon us, Jesus. Look upon us, Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, come Holy Spirit. Let your fire fall on us tonight. Let your fire fall. 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 God, if there's been dualism in our life, if there's been duality in our heart, in our affections, in our thinking, in our meditations, Lord, we ask and pray. We surrender it to you. We say we don't want it. God, if we are aware that we've been doing all the right things, yet our hearts are divided, God, we want you to have first place. We want you to be first in our heart. We want our affection to be poured out on you. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the mighty name of Jesus, come all over this place. In the mighty name of Jesus, come. Only you can do it. The spirit of burning. The spirit of burning in Jesus' name. We ask that you consume us, God. We are telling you. Guys, it's just an act of faith. It's an act of faith. You are telling him, laying at this altar, God, I'm responding to this message. I felt your conviction. I heard the word tonight and I am responding and I am saying, look upon me. I want to be like Hannah. Look upon me. I want to be like Samson. I want to be like Samuel. I want to be like John. And more importantly, I want to be like Jesus. I want my will to pale in comparison to yours, Father. The Lord would love, or the enemy would love nothing more 
than for you to try to live out what God has called you to live out while staying alive. That was the greatest battle, I believe, Jesus won in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours. The devil will always offer you a, a, an out to stay alive. But in order for Jesus to accomplish the will of his father, it required death. Father, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. But if there isn't, then let your will be done. Lord, I ask that you would teach us the way of self-denial. I ask that you would teach us what Paul meant when he said, I die daily. I ask and pray that you would teach us what Catherine Coleman meant when she said, before I would take the stage, I would die a thousand deaths. That's people who said, God, hide me behind your cross because it's not about me. Those were people possessed by God. And that's who we want to be. We want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit, filled and overflowing of every earthly good and use because our life is laid down to the one that we love. Father, we want to love you more than we do. Jesus, we want to love you more because I know that's what we were made for, to love you with every fiber of our being. That's what we want. That's all we care about, to love you more because in that is everything. In that place is where we obey. In that place is where we love others. In that place is where our motives are made pure and everything flows from a pure place. Mark us with fire, whatever that looks like. Burn whatever needs to burn as we humble ourselves before you. Let humility hit your church again, Father. Let the humility of the Son, like Paul said, that the attitude of Jesus might be formed in you. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also found in Christ Jesus. What was the attitude? Although he existed in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he offered himself, died on that cross as a man in an act of obedience, inheriting the name above every other name. Jesus had his own will. He surrendered it to his father. That's what we're doing. God, I surrender my will to you. Lord, listen to me, guys. This just rose up in my heart. It's one thing to say, God, I give you my sin. It's another thing to say, God, I give you my will. It's one thing to say, God, cleanse me of my sin. Forgive me of my sin. It's another thing to say, Jesus, I'm here to die. I'm here to die to my own will, my own wants, my own desires, that you and who you are and what you want is carried out in my life because I know that your desire in me, God, I believe, the more I delight in you anyhow, the more my desire becomes like yours. And I believe you give us, you allow us to be partakers of your divine nature. And part of that, I believe, is we become partakers of your desire. But I know this, I don't want any other desire but yours. So Lord, I pray that you'd burn up selfish ambition in the church. I pray that you'd burn up false motives in the church not just here at Gateway, my life and beyond, God, the church. 
I pray that you'd purify, Lord, those that are laying up here at this altar, those that are crying out saying, God, you can have, God, I believe there's a role we play. God, it's like this tightrope. There's things that grace is working out and doing. Guys, listen to me. There are things that God did in an instant. There's one thing to be made right with God positionally. It's another thing to walk out righteousness relationally. There's a difference. God will not do for you positionally what you're called to walk out relationally. How many times in the Bible will it say things like this? Flee that, get away from that, avoid that, let go of that. Again, it's not because we're being religious. It's what this next season is demanding. And those of us that are in love with the Lord, it's a delight, it's an honor. It's yes, God, you can have that. Thank you, Father. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Stanley, do you want to pray, man? Come on, you said you wanted to pray. You said whatever I needed tonight, bro, so here you are. Um, so uh, I was telling Brian earlier today, I said, I said, if, you know, whatever you want me to do, I do. So, um, so if you want prayer, uh, I don't care if it's for healing, Spiritual healing, emotional healing, physical healing, I don't care. Whatever you want, pray for, I'll pray for you. Whatever the Lord tells me, I'll tell you. So so I'm I'm here. So all right. Carl and Sue. Carl and Sue are here. Kate, would you pray for the youth? My Just get hands on them. That'd be great. Maybe you did that earlier. I don't know. This is my honor. The gifts that I bring.